literally to wipe out Christians. The persecution had literally spread Christians all over. If you're here for the very first week, we've been in this series called The Story. We started way back in the garden. And we've traveled all the way through the Bible, which starts out in Genesis, and there's an Older Testament. And then we head into this Newer Testament. And we're almost at the end of this series. And last week, we've been focusing on the new church. The church that was just established, the church that Jesus empowered all of his disciples to go into all the world and to be able to teach good news and to plant churches all over. Well, things got pretty exciting in Jerusalem in those first few days. And the Holy Spirit came and empowered these new disciples. And they were able to be able to, well, go into places that They'd never gone before. And they were bold. And they began to share a little bit more about what God was doing in their lives. And the Holy Spirit just literally, well, transformed everybody that it began to live in. Now, what's so cool is that the good news is the same good news that it was yesterday as it is today. There were so many people that, well, they were into religion. There were so many Jews that loved to keep the law. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in a moment. Good people. But they tried to please God, and they never quite obeyed all of it. Well, God loved the world and sent his son to die on the cross so that Well, Jesus would spread his arms, spill his blood, so that he would pay for your sin and my sin. The good news of the kingdom is that we can be reconciled. We can have a relationship back with Jesus. So this was the news that was going out all over. And it was just, well, transforming communities. Well, the Romans didn't like what was going on. The Jews didn't like what was going on. And this persecution started happening. And they started to put pressure on these new believers. And what happened at that moment is they began to scatter. Literally scatter in all of the world. And so Christianity was spread all over. People were hearing all this amazing news about Jesus. But there was this guy, Saul. Oh, we know him as Paul, and we're going to get to him in a moment. And you saw just a little blurb. Saul was passionate. Saul desired deeply to obey God in every way. And these upstarts, these Christians, they just needed to be snuffed out. And, and, well, he had authority to do it. He had the authority to go gather people and put them in jail and even murder them if he chose to do that. The Sanhedrin, this Hebrew religious government, had given them authority just to snuff out anybody. And Paul did with great vigor and enthusiasm. That was until his trip to Damascus. Saul did not see this coming. And if you want to open your Bibles, you can do that to Acts chapter 9. 
But in Acts chapter 9, we find out that Paul and his entourage, they're marching to Damascus to gather all the Christians. It's up in Syria. And they were going to bring them back, and they were going to, well, destroy their lives. They are going to snuff out this, this movement, this Jesus movement. Well, on the way to Damascus, Paul, or Saul sees this bright light. It blinds him. He falls to the ground, and he hears a voice. And, Paul, and Saul and this voice, they have this dialogue back and forth. And he finds out that he's talking with Jesus. His blindness didn't go away right away. His men led them into Damascus. And the scriptures don't tell a whole lot of what happened except while Saul was in Damascus blind, there's a guy named Ananias. And God meets with Ananias, and and God tells Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go, and I want you to talk to my friend Saul. Well, Saul already had the reputation. This was not a really great invitation, just so you know what happens. But God tells Ananias that Saul is God's chosen instrument, and that he needs to give Saul a taste of of what it means to follow him. That there's going to be all kinds of suffering. Well, Ananias trusted God. And although it didn't make any sense to him, he went and he found Saul. And in chapter 9, verses 17, 18, and 19, this is what happened. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Ananias did what God told him to do. And he went to a man who had all this power and authority to literally snuff out Ananias' life. But he listened. And when he came into the room, something miraculous happened to Saul. He began to see. He regained his sight. For those days that he was just blind and he listened. And we don't have everything recorded in the scripture, but I believe he came to faith at this time. And so when the scales fell out, the scripture says he got up and he says, can can I get baptized? I want to be able to make it public. I want everybody to know that I am now a Jesus follower. And he got baptized. And afterwards they gave him some food. And he regained his strength. Saul had come to faith. Sight returned and baptism was just a normal step. Now what was very abnormal is that he began to preach about Jesus. Jesus. The one he wanted to snuff out. And the scriptures tell us that he began to preach and it was powerful. And it was persuasive. And literally the church 
grew. At the end of Acts chapter 9, verse 31, time passed. And as it did, the church then had peace in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And it became stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Now, again, if you've been with us the last two weeks, especially, we've been focusing a lot on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit lives in every believer and how the Holy Spirit empowers and teaches and convicts and encourages. Well, this church was experiencing this. There was peace around the countryside. And as believers learned more and more about who God was and how to fear God and how to listen to God and how to obey God, well, they were encouraged. And as they were encouraged, they also grew in numbers. This church was at peace. They lived in God's fear. They were controlled by the Holy Spirit. And they just naturally grew in that environment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you excited, fearful. We are so grateful, God, that that you, that you love us, that you pursue us, that you desire that we have life. We know, God, that You want us to experience abundance. But we need to learn that only comes when we obey you with all of our hearts. We're on this pathway, Lord, and we ask you to teach us. We ask that the Spirit would be so abundantly clear today and active today. And you would use your word to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Saul's name was changed to Paul. And the Apostle Paul was a major kingdom player. Paul's mission was to plant churches and encourage believers. Now, again, that may not sound that exciting to many of us. We don't oftentimes grow up and say, hey, I I really want to be able to plant churches and just encourage other believers. But Paul was heavily into religion before he found Jesus, his Savior. He understood the God of the Old Testament, and he loved that God dearly. He just didn't understand that the Messiah had come. So what happened in the very beginning of Paul's ministry is that he went on three missionary trips, literally traveling over thousands of miles. Now, I realize our first clip was a little juvenile. If you think that was juvenile, wait till this clip comes, okay? But I got to just tell you this, is that as I look at different things that help try to get across certain points, there are just, well, some of the kids' stuff is just really, really good. And although every one of you would probably say, hey, I know Paul was passionate. I know Paul, you know, he sailed all over. He went all over. He, he started all these different churches. I get it. But I don't think we understand literally how far Paul traveled. Let's watch this. 
went on three big trips. The first was around 46 AD. Look, we're drawing a line. Starting in Antioch, Paul sailed to the island of Cyprus, then sailed up to Asia Minor and visited the city of Perga, another city called Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Then he did the whole thing backwards. Lystra, Iconium, the other Antioch, Perga, then Adelaia, then sailed all the way back to Antioch, 1,400 miles. He must have used a lot of gas. But now he was either in a boat or walking the whole way. I bet those Roman roads came in, Andy. They sure did. His next trip was much further. Around 49 AD, he walked to Tarsus, then Cilicia, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Phrygia. That sounds cold. I don't think it was. Then up to an area called Galatia, and all the way over to another called Mysia, then Troas, and then he visited Samothrace, Neapolis, Philippi, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, Berea, then all the way down to Athens, which is the center of Greek culture, then over to Corinth, where he stayed for a year and a half, then Sankri, then back on a boat and all the way over to Ephesus, then all the way down back across the Mediterranean, all the way to Caesarea. Whoa, what a long trip. And then to Jerusalem, 2,800 miles. He must have worn out his sneakers. I think he wore out several pair of sneakers. And finally, a few years later, around 52 AD, he went on his third big trip. From Antioch, he walked all the way up through Galatia. That would make your feet sore. Then to Phrygia, and on to Ephesus, where he stayed for three years. That's a long time. Then all the way up to an area called Macedonia. Macedonia, I like that name. And back on another boat, all the way down to Corinth. Then all the way back up to Macedonia. Again? Yep, again. And then on another boat over to Troas, Assos, Mytilene, Chios, Samos, Miletus, Kos, down to Rhodes over to Patera, then once again back across the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Tyre, and down to Ptolemaeus, Caesarea, and finally back to Jerusalem again, another 2,700 miles. That's a lot of travelling. It sure is. It's like crossing America from one end to the other three and a half times and without cars or trains or planes, just as two feet and a boat here and there. Now, I don't know if you had any clue how much this guy travelled. And either he was a fanatic, I just want to say this, and say so your options are boats and walking or maybe carts or whatever. And you're saying, okay, so this guy in his lifetime, this doesn't even count his trip to Rome, which was the last thing he did. But he goes back and forth, back and forth of the whole United States. Imagine that. Three and a half times. Making sure churches were started. People knew Jesus. So, well, why? why? Why did you do this, Saul, or now Paul? 
this seems crazy. Couldn't someone else have done this? Couldn't someone else set up the churches really well? Well, trip one, we find in Acts 13 and 14. And as I shared, or or as was just illustrated to you, it was a short trip compared to all the other ones. But it was during this time that he wrote the book of Galatians, or the letter to Galatians. It was probably one of the first letters that Paul had written, at least that we have recorded in the Bible. And it's going to be our focus this morning. So if you would, turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Galatians chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading on, at verse 3. Galatians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul says, May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Oftentimes starts off this way. Then he goes and and starts ranting, literally. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God the Father forever and ever. He says, right away, right out of the gates, I just want you to know what Jesus did. He died for me. He allows me to have a relationship with God. God planned to rescue us. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he loves Jesus. And we can be rescued from this evil world. Now these next few verses really jump out. They're a little bit weird in some ways. All right? Verse 6. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are not following a different way that pretends to be good news, but it is not good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately try to twist the truth about Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Now, if you don't know a lot about Paul, you're saying, whoa, what about, hey, how are you guys doing? How's your mother-in-law? What are things going on at work? You, you kind of greet us. You kind of jump into the good news. Hey, Jesus died. And then you seem like you're getting mad. And actually he was. Paul was this grace freak. He had spent all of his life trying to obey the law and failing. He spent all of his life in religion and not finding any fulfillment in it. Now he found Jesus. He saved him. He rescued him from this life. He was so passionate about this. And for some reason, in this region of Galatia, there were some churches that, well, weren't understanding the good news. They said, yeah, Jesus Christ died and so on, but we're still going to obey the law. Like, we're going to still have our males circumcised. And we need to Paul says, hold it. Hold your horses. How can you go back to something that was so much a burden on you? 
Jesus Christ died so that we might experience freedom and we can live by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit would teach us what to do, when to say, where to go, how to interact with people. Why would you trade a book of rules and regulations for the freedom of living in the Spirit? Paul then goes on in verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and nobody taught me. Instead, I received it directly from Jesus Christ. Ho, ho. Verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by His marvelous grace. Then it pleased them to reveal his son to me so I could proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem, you know, that's where all the big cheeses were, to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went into Arabia and later returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. Paul says this, I want you to know Jesus died for you. He died so he could rescue you. Don't go back into the law. He goes, if you don't think that's the right message, I just want you to know I heard all about God's grace from God himself. He taught me. He sent me out literally to a desert for three years, and he taught me about himself. And then what's so cool is all the way through the rest of the book of Galatians, he just talks about the good news, the good news. It's so cool. It's so transforming. It's changed my life. I want to tell everybody about it. Now, I sound a little excited right now, but nothing compared to Paul. If you look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, yet, Paul writes this, we know that a person is made right with God by faith through Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here, you'd, you, you'd see him shaking. Do you understand this? This is so cool, all right? Not by obeying the law, as we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Oh, he's, he's getting a little anxious right now. He's, he's getting a little excited, all right? And he wants them to know how amazing this was. Now, again, I'm not here to beat up anybody or to demean anyone. But sometimes, some right here have known Jesus since they've been five or six or seven years old. That gospel message we responded to, maybe in an Awana ministry, or maybe up at camp, or maybe in, in your parents' living room. And then you grow up in the church, and you, and you hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And you can r- repeat John 3.16, and some of you can even do it backwards. 
you really know this verse. But we become comfortable with it. Okay, la-di-da, Jesus died. I'll think about a little bit more at Easter. Yeah, yeah, okay, I have access right to the throne room of God. I get it, I can pray every once in a while. But and all of a sudden you start to catch yourself. You don't get excited about the grace that God extended you and me. We forget the message is not only transforming, but the message gives us a promise for eternity. And Paul, he's already gone through a lot of stuff. He's not even halfway through his ministry yet, and, and he just can't be tempered. He loves the gospel message. He says it over and over again. In verse 20 of chapter 2, my old self has been crucified with Christ. <laughs> this is exciting. It's, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Then verse 21, and I encourage you again, circle, underline. My Bible, I have it squared, I have it yellowed, and I have an arrow pointed to it. Verse 21, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Ah, God graced me. This is so amazing. If you go a little bit down a little bit later in, in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, it's a rather odd verse. But again, Paul, as you read through Galatians, and if some of you have been following along in the story, this was part of our reading for this week. But in Galatians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul says this, Oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. What Paul's saying is this. He's saying, hey, you guys have been born again. And, and I, I know that God is working in you. I know the Spirit is active in you. And I know that the Spirit of God is chipping away everything that doesn't reflect God well to others. Oh, I'm, I want to be with you until Christ is fully developed in you. As you walk with God, you reflect God better to others. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. So Christ has fully set us free. Make sure that you stay free. Don't get tied up again to the law. Do you understand what grace is? Don't live by the Spirit and then go back and try to obey the law. Go to chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. And, and again, you, you probably just need to read all of Galatians through to get the full impact of this. But this is what Paul writes, verse 13, chapter 5. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then jump down to verse 16. So I say, he kind of gets real excited right now. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. 
allow that Holy Spirit to direct you, to control you. And again, if you've been with us, we've talked about how the Holy Spirit lives in every believer. But the Holy Spirit doesn't control you unless you confess your sin. You're obedient. You walk with God. And as you do, then He chips away the things that don't bring God glory. You begin acting ways that you never would act. As I shared as we were handing out towels, we start loving people that are hard to love. We don't do that. We start forgiving people. We don't. Yeah, why should I forget, you know? You start, and all of a sudden, you start acting more and more like Jesus. Because he's working in your lives, and he's taking that away. He says, so hey, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. It's so important. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't guide you, You know what's going to be produced in your life? And you can look, verse 19. When we follow the desires of our sinful nature, or we walk, we don't walk with God, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, uh, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like this. I say, well, Rick, uh, yeah, well, when we walk apart from God, we become very self-centered, and we forget all that God has wired us to do. And obedience literally gives us wings and freedom. It doesn't constrict us. And then just a little later in verse 22, but when you allow the Holy Spirit to control you, The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Verse 24, those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the passions and desires of the sinful nature to the cross, to his cross, and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Paul is begging at this moment. He's saying, folks, you've been casual. Folks, you're turning in the gospel for something else. Do you understand how magnificent, how wonderful it is to let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you? And the fruit is so different. It's so different. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7, and I'll jump down to 14 also. Don't be misled, he says. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. If you're self-centered, you will harvest, well, self-centered fruit, which is only satisfying for a moment. But if you walk with God, you will bear fruit that will not only empower you and give you abundant life, but bless all those around you. In trip number two, um, we find out in Acts 15, 16, 17, and 18. And in that area, and again, that's, that's 
hard to see. So many of you have Bibles that have maps in them, and, and you can check that out. But more than the specifics, I just want you to see all the area that he went in. And then in trip number three was in Acts 18 through 21. And all these trips, realistically, he went to strengthen people's faith, encourage people on mission, and talked about the kingdom. At the end of um, his third missionary trip, in Acts 19, verse 8, uh, Luke, the historian, writes this. He said, Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul normally would go to the synagogue. He always wanted the Jews to respond. But you're going to find out as you read a little more, well, they didn't want it. And so they kind of kicked him out. And Paul spent about two more years in Ephesus just teaching the people about the kingdom. So strengthening, encouraging, and kingdom talk is all about making disciples. And discipleship to Paul looked like parenting, literally. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 7, going to 8, and then jumping to 11 and 12. This is what Paul writes. He's talking to a church and reminding them what his ministry was to them when he was there. And he said this, we, the leadership team, were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only the good news, the gospel, but our own lives. We lived with you. We modeled for you. We taught you what the scriptures say, but we also showed you how a Christ follower lives. That's discipling. And then in verse 11, he says this, and you know how we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children. And then he describes it. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Oh, he says, I I treated you like a mother, and, and I cared for you tenderly. I treated you like a father and exhorted you at times and encouraged you at times and and shared with you how important this is to follow God and to seek first his kingdom. Well, it's so cool as Paul would continue to pray almost every one of his letters. He would say, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. But in Romans chapter 15, I just wanted to point this out. In chapter 15, verses 30, 31, and 32, Paul, the apostle, asks for prayer. This is so cool. He said, dear brothers and sisters, at the end of this, this letter... I urge you in the name of Jesus Christ to join in my struggle for pray, uh, or to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. 
Pray that I will be rescued from those in Judea who refuse to obey God. Pray also that believers there will be willing to accept the donation I'm giving them. Then, by the will of God, I will be able to come to you with a joyful heart, and we will be an encouragement to one another. What's so cool, just a little earlier, um, Willie, our youth pastor, asked you to put on your smartphones or watches or whatever at 10 o'clock to pray for Backyard Adventure Week. All right? And then he also said, keep it on next week because the high school students are going to be up at camp. And how exciting it is for us as a church to be able to join those who are on the front lines. Not everyone's going to be able to do that. Not everybody can do that. But we can join them as they minister. And we pray for them, encourage them. And I think even another thing you might do is just let Willie and the team know that you're doing that. I think that's pretty cool. One of the things that, that Paul continued to do, and uh, as you look at Paul, Paul was a pretty educated guy. Paul was a pretty, uh, he had quite the uh, reputation, um, but he served in such humility. And, and this excited me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking to a different church, and he says, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's plan. And by the way, Paul could have. He was educated in one of the greatest teachers of all time. He really was. And he had a sharp mind. But he said, I didn't do that. For I decided, verse 2, that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, trembling and timid. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and pers uh, per, uh, persuasive speeches, I only relied on the Holy Spirit. And that excited me. It excited me that you don't have to be the smartest or the sharpest. But God uses different people in different ways as we humbly come before him and focus on what is important, what is the gospel, and how it transforms our lives. Lastly, Paul wanted God to receive all glory, no matter what he did. And I mentioned a little bit of this, but in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Paul writes this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to God's glory, that he might be magnified. It's really hard to perhaps cover all of Paul's life in a short message. It would probably take weeks and months and maybe even years. We've just hit a little part of it, but one of the things, and we started off just showing you all the places he went because he just wanted people to understand the gospel. Paul was all in. And one of the things that just mesmerized me was in, found, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verses 23 to 30. And if you were to read that, what you would find is this, is Paul begins listing all the things that he went through as a result of all these travels. 
all the shipwrecks, all the beatings, all the sleepless nights. And you would sit there, really, Paul, is it worth it? All that time away from family, always on the road. I mean, even when you got to certain places, they stoned you for dead. They beat you up. They put you in prison. You were ship. Why, Paul? Why? And it would go back over and over and over again. He was transformed by God's grace. He wanted everybody to know it. He was a brand new creation. He wanted everybody to know it. He wanted people to understand not only the power of walking with God, but the privilege of serving his God. In fact, I like to just end with this. Doesn't Paul inspire you? Doesn't he inspire you? I I know sometimes we read about baseball heroes or we read about chemists or we read, and, and, you know, we understand their accomplishments. We go, oh, I could never, never, never do that. And, And probably none of you or I will ever be like Paul. But what is inspiring is this, is Paul was so overwhelmed by grace that it changed his life. It never got old. When, when a song came up, whether it's in your car or in our fellowship here, it was sung because God's grace was so amazing. We're talking about the blood that was shed. When the communion plate comes by and it's not just something casual, well, I, I'll just drink this and eat this and this will be fine. We're remembering all that God did, what it cost. Paul was overwhelmed by God's grace to this dying day. That would be a red flag if for some reason you're casual about all that God has done for you. I I would just say it. I would just say no one's going to know if you're casual, I don't think. Maybe someone real close to you. But if you're casual, that's one thing I, I would go home this afternoon and say, you know what, God, I am just not excited about God's grace. That message that I responded to a million years ago, it just hasn't really floated my boat for a long time. Would Would you renew for me how wonderful this is? Secondly, we saw that Paul was all in. He was relentless. He planted, he equipped, he sent out, he encouraged. He just wanted people to be able to thrive. He didn't want people to stay babies spiritually. He didn't want them to just eat pablum. He didn't want them just to exist. He wanted them to thrive. And he set up people all over the world in order to do that. And lastly, he is enjoying eternity. In the very last letter that Paul wrote, he wrote it to Timothy, a pastor, and it's in 2 Timothy. And just about the last words he wrote in that letter is 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. And he writes this, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near, Timothy. I have fought a good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now, Timothy, the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now I want you to look at the screen up there, because I'm going to say a sentence, and it's going to sound really weird. But it may make sense. The wases determine the is. The wases determine the is. We have talked about investing. Paul lived his life to the end with gusto and enthusiasm. I don't know how many years you've been around. I don't know how many years you know the Lord. And maybe there's even someone here that doesn't even know Jesus yet. And maybe today that would be the greatest day in your life. But I know this. Is that Paul, all the days of his life, was so grateful to God for his mercy and grace. When he understood that, he was a dynamo. He was all in. He loved talking to people about his rescuer and how they could have life. And now, now, he is enjoying eternity. Wow. How cool is that? Let's pray. Father,